0: Morning, church. Whew, man, is it warm in here? Or is it me? That song's a that song's a bit high for old Chris. It takes about all I got. So uh, if, I'm, uh, if I'm glistening or glowing or whatever the term is for the polite way to say sweating like a pig, it's true. That's not a, an effect on the camera. Good to see everybody. It's going to be back in the pulpit. We're trucking through a. 1 Corinthians, if after last week you thought to yourself, gosh, I'm glad we're past the sexual immorality preaching. Welcome back. We're going to hit it again because Paul hit it again. Today's kind of a twofer. It's fun. I I, I was back and forth between um, making two sermons out of one chapter um, or making one, and I thought, you know, uh, the, the way this is kind of nestled between um, chapter 5, which was about very specific sexual immorality and, and how the... The body's putting up with some things that the body probably shouldn't put up with, uh, and then uh, he he tags on a uh, in in chapter six he talks a little bit about being just kind of argumentative or not good friends, and then hits um, hits it again there towards the end. I thought to myself, I think I'm just going to put these together because there's there's a, a quick blip, but then a, a kind of a kind of another discussion at the end. So we'll be in chapter six. We're going to do all of chapter six today, and that's going to be kind of both chunks. And you'll see as we go through this, we. We break it out into two chunks. So if you've got your Bible you want to read with, great. If not, it should be on the screen. And uh, feel free to, uh, to join us. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? That you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. That he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. Thank you for a time to study, open up this word. Um, Lord, it's challenging. We may hear things when we read through this Bible that we've read 20 times and never thought it'd even apply to us at all. Kind of as, as Leah prayed, as we study this, Lord, and we desire to be more Christ-like, I pray that we begin to read this and begin to understand what that may, how that may impact our life, Lord. We don't need to read ourselves into the Bible. We can read the Bible right into our lives and see that there are things that we need to change, things we need to address, attitudes, the way we think about things, perhaps, Lord. Help us not to get caught up in the idea that, well, I'm not actually engaged in anything that was talked about directly, or certainly not as bad as the thing that was mentioned today, so there's no room for growth. Uh, that's a lie, Lord. We know we can always grow. We want to perpetually, every day. We need you every hour as we sung, Lord. Help that not to be just words that we sing and nod our heads to, and then leave this place and abandon, uh, pursuing you for another you know six or seven days, Lord. Please, uh, I, I just pray that today you'll hide me behind your cross, but the power of your word. Uh, be proclaimed today, so your sons of I pray. Amen. All right. So, chapter six. Paul has had enough. That's the tone I get out of this. Well, not really. I mean, he's not had enough. He's going to write a bit more. But, but I want to recall, and it's it's worth noting, he's talking to believers. He made mention in chapter five a very specific line between people who are claiming to be brothers in Christ or sisters in Christ, part of the church and those that are outside the church. Paul also sounds, he, he's referred to himself as their father, and he sees them as his children in the faith. Now, I want to be real clear, they're not all Paul's kids or anything like that, but he planted this church, he was, a, or at least a big part of all that, and he sees the, the success or the failure of this church as something that he has had a hand in. So clearly he wants the best for them, but not just for their sake, obviously for the glory of God, and you hear this all the time. He talks about them, and then he says, you know, remember who you represent here. Remember whose you are. And if you stay in this place and you keep doing this stuff and you ignore what I'm telling you, it makes you look like a fool. It makes the church look like a disaster and it makes Christ look like he's ineffective. And we all know that's not true. So let's do it right. And if it sounds like a broken record, well, he kind of is, you know, I mean, there's some things that just never change. People listen, but they don't hear or however you want to say that, right? They hear, but they don't listen. Oh, yeah, absolutely, and then they go right back to doing what they're going to do, right? Paul wants the best for this church, and he knows the way to do that is to do what Christ has commanded, and he's going to say it over and over. So quick aside, he kind of starts here. Chapter 5 was about sexual immorality, and then we kind of go back to that, but in the midst, we see this little aside about being litigious, and litigious just means, you know, argumentative, right? Uh, Wanting to go to court. Um, And I want to be real clear here, Paul's not talking about all court proceedings. So it's it's incorrect to take this verse and say that things, anything that happens within the church should be handled within the church. That is not true. There are things that will happen that need to be handled by something outside the church because the offense was great. He's not talking about every offense. He's specifically talking about trivial civil lawsuits. This is critical. And the church has screwed this up badly. The church, the, the bigger, the small C Catholic Church, all churchdom, has tried to fix things by keeping it indoors. We don't need to we don't need to talk to this, we don't need to talk to the police. That's not all we're talking about here. That is that's taking this passage too far. So when we talk about trivial civil lawsuits, trivial meaning not a big deal, and kind of contrast that with significant, and civil meaning a dispute between individuals. So in our court system, we have civil suits and you've got criminal. Civils, I got a problem with Mike and we're not seeing eye to eye on this, and I think he owes me money, and he disagrees, and we go to court, and I sue him, and now we're going to sit as a civil suit, and he, we're going to argue, and someone's going to decide, okay, you owe him money or you don't. If you ever see the people's court, that's what civil lawsuits look like. That guy didn't cut my dog the way I like it. Well, that dog was bit me in the hand. And, and they, they listen to both sides and say, all right, the judgment's for this guy to give him 600 bucks and get out of here. And it's settled. It's over. That's the kind of lawsuit we're talking about here. That would be contrasted by criminal if I go out and I shoot somebody, their family does not have to sue me to go to jail. The police will intervene. I've broken a law. I've committed a crime. When a crime is committed, it's no longer a civil suit. It's a criminal matter. So when we're, what we're talking about here are trivial, civil matters. The kinds of things between people that probably shouldn't be between people that call themselves brothers. Hopefully those of us that maybe have families that we like aren't going to sue them for $500 aren't going to take them to court because they p- parked their car in the yard and I told you not to and it left a rut. I'm going to try to make that right. I'll forgive you for doing it and you'll not do it again. That sort of thing is what Paul's getting at. And these folks at this time love going to court apparently. <laughs> so much so that Paul's heard about this. You guys are going out to the courts of law. You're suing each other in, 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 in Corinth. Uh, don't take these petty disputes outside the church. Once again. Criminal, giant issues, belong outside. Someone's committed murder. Someone's stolen a, a tremendous amount of money, burned down a building, He's committed a sexual assault. These should go outside the church. These are crimes that need to be handled in a criminal court. No ifs, ands, or buts. The church should cooperate as, as need be, but Caesar has chosen that this is, there's a crime and a payment. We should render that to Caesar. But this isn't that. That's not what these folks are dealing with. Paul's saying, don't take these petty disputes outside the church. We should, as Christians, resolve these as family. And Paul implores them to leverage wise people in the body. We always talk about Solomon, you know, that story about the baby, and like, let's cut the baby in half. And the one person says, sounds good to me, half each. And the actual baby's parent says, no, just let the baby live and go with them. Hopefully it doesn't always come to that in the church. But the notion here is that we should implore somebody that's wise to say, listen to what happened. This person did something that I find offensive, or I think is wrong, or they owe me something. I demand restitution. All right, let's hear your side of the story. Let's hear your side of the story. Here's what I think would be best. Over time, we hope those things go down and stop happening. But if you, what he's dealing with here is clearly a very haughty group of people, the folks that he's kind of lecturing in this letter that are enjoying all these little things, trying to cut each other down. Death by a thousand cuts, right? I'll just slowly whittle you away until you either leave the church or you bend to my will, at which point I will relent. And Paul talks about both sides of this nonsense. Oh, so he wronged you, he defrauded you, can you not forgive and reconcile? That's one side. Yeah, I'm not saying that what happened wasn't wrong, or that you weren't defrauded. But if that's somebody that you care about, and you understand what we're doing here in this church, that might be something for you to consider about forgiveness and reconciliation. And then he turns. (laughs) And if you think about this, like with maybe two kids bickering over. When I talk about parents, I love this thinking about this. You got two kids and they're fighting over a toy. And kid A had the toy first, and kid B took the toy from Kid A. (laughs) Right, and you walk in there. What happened? Well, I was playing with it. He took it from me. He took that toy from me without permission. Okay. Kid B is in the wrong. Took the toy. But now you turn to kid A and you say, oh, so he took the toy. Can you just forgive him let him play with it? Can you just be friends? And then kid B who's holding the toy is like, yeah, why don't you just be nice? This is my turn anyway. But then Paul pivots to kid B. And how dare you wrong and defraud your own brother? Why would you take a toy from your brother? Turns out it's both barrels. You're both wrong. And you both had a way to fix this, but neither of you did it. You could have forgiven him. You could have not done it. But rather than anybody... Owning up to it and working together, you guys want to go to court. Now, in, in kids, with, with childhood disputes, court is, you know, somewhat a, a guardian, a parent, a teacher walks in the room and is the judge, dread, right? Judge, jury, and executioner. You, guilty, go to the timeout zone, right? Like, I didn't get a fair trial. My lawyer's not present. I answer no questions. Get out of here. You're done. You want to get that. But when it comes to adults, oh boy, we get to go to court. We get to hire lawyers. We get to prepare papers and all kinds of stuff and waste people's time and money. All the proof of point. That was my toy, and you took it, and I don't like it. Well, you said I could borrow. I never said you could borrow it for that long, and you've had it for six months, and you won't give it back. Well, I'm still using it. You said it well, but, you know, this stuff happens today, and it happened then. The thing here is that nobody is, quote, right here. There's there's clearly some wrong that was done, but Paul's saying, you know, you did something wrong, and then you refuse to even try to be forgiving or work it out. You just... Everybody turns to fighting. Let's just fight about it. We're going to have a fight. And then obviously Paul goes on a little bit of a tirade, kind of recalling what he, the list he read off in, in five, but he adds thieves and greedy swindlers to what, in my opinion, is a pretty lousy list. Sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, like... Well, I just stole something. I mean, that's not as bad as, like, yeah, well, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Well, at least I wasn't an, idol- an idolater. I don't know. It's debatable. If you're willing to take your brother to court over a $300 charge, maybe being right is your idol. Oh, I'm not going to listen to this. And I'm sure people felt the same way. But Paul is fed up. Paul is sick and tired of these people representing Christ. They're going out in the world. Imagine what the world's seeing they got people in here that are doing stuff the world doesn't tolerate, going outside the church, suing each other, all these little tiny petty things, insisting on judgments. Now, in our world, if we settled something up and I said, let's say I sued Mike and I won and he owes me $300 and he can't pay, the judge will get a lien or whatever else. And this time you had debtor's prison. So you had a really nice opportunity to put somebody in jail for doing something that you deemed wrong. And if you could make a good enough case, then you could get them locked up. What a win. But you've pulled them out of the body. You've hurt the ministry. This would have been so frustrating to Paul, and it's evident by his tone. He spends the first half of this chapter to me, I see it in my head, he's talking like this the whole time. Do you not know that we are the judge angels? Right? Why aren't you listening to me? I'm talking to you. you know, and like, He wants these people to be like on their heels like, oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry, Paul. I'm sorry, Paul. Don't be sorry. Don't be sorry. Stop it. I don't want you to be sorry. I want you to, to stop doing this. Fix it, church. You're supposed to be better at this. Well, you know, he took it for me. So then, speaking of sexually immoral, Paul's going to circle back on this. I think the list probably set something off in his brain because the list he makes kind of pivots back. Speaking of the sexually immoral, he's heard some comparisons, I'm guessing. This is my thinking here. He he makes this comparison of sex with food. Well, all food is lawful, then maybe all carnality is lawful too, Right? If we remember, he read through this and he said, Yeah, all things, are, all things are lawful for me, right? I can eat anything. It didn't used to be that way. Things some things were, were, were verboten, but now it's all good. All the bacon I want's cool now. Because I understand that, that was a that was a temporal thing. But but sexual immorality is not that. Now he could just be making a, a wonderful metaphor here, and Paul's notorious for that. But I get this feeling that he's heard murmurings or maybe read in some letters or heard some people talking about, like, well, you know. Along with the other things that were once unlawful, I think that perhaps anything that was once unlawful is lawful for me because I'm a very strong Christian. I'm no longer the weaker brother. So I can eat any food I want. I can do anything in the carnal world that I want. There is no sexual immorality for me because I've set such a high bar. I'm so close to God that I can literally do anything that I want and it just washes off me. I'm like Teflon with regards to sin. And Paul's saying, false. False. No, 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 no. no. That's a lie. I never said that. You've taken what I've told you about food and taken it someplace it should never have been. Yes, all food is lawful. And he tries to to, to cover this, but he's like, listen, food was for the body and the body was for food. (laughs) These two things work in concert. If you can eat it and it provides nourishment, then yes, that's food. The body needs food and food exists to feed the body. But... Sexual immorality was never intended to be in the body. It's not food. It wasn't like there was some sexual immorality that was once okay and other things. Sexual immorality across the board has always been bad. Now, we know that sex itself has a construct in which it is wonderful as intended. But that's not how food is, right? Food was never intended to be some sort of a a mechanism by which we can understand better the depth of God's love for us as we emulate a relationship on earth that's uh, groom and bride. That's one thing. Food is another. <laughs> so to take food and say, I guess everything's lawful because all food is lawful, is a bad connection to make. Our minds deceive us here. Our minds want to tell us that we know better. I feel very strong. I can make other connections. I can handle it. I've been, you know, I've been studying. I've been, I've been, I've been working really hard. I haven't had a drink in 30 years. I'm ready to go to a bar with my friends. And if you talk to people that struggle with addictions like that, they'll tell you, no, you're not. Don't do that. That's probably a mistake. You should probably should not do that. You should avoid that. Paul's saying the same thing here. Don't dip your toe in sexual immorality. Don't let a little bit of it in your life because once it's in there, it's really difficult. Your mind will start to take over and, and what your body was intended for, which is the Lord's work, is going to be completely separate from what your brain is telling you to do. It starts to run away. Do you not know? <laughs> he says that a lot in this chapter. And, and I believe 100% Paul is reminding them of what they should know. If he didn't say, Did you not, do you not know, to me it would be an indicator like, here's something you probably haven't thought of, right? Let me tell you something you've never heard before. But he knows he's talking to believers that have probably been studying the word. They founded a church. It's moving along. It's doing things. So he's reminding them. And he's, well, yeah, we know. And he's, you could have fooled me. You know, I'm telling you the things you should already know. But if you know them and you believe them, then they should be able to be readily apparent. And they are not. This to me sounds like a parent talking to a child. It's a little bit condescending, but it's also caring, right? He's not saying, you guys make me sick. I am, uh, I am ashamed of you. I wish you were never put together as a church. None of that is here. He says, I say this to your shame. Like, I know, I know this is, sounds really bad, but what are you going to do about it? Church, I'll tell you, we, me, all of us need to appreciate a good rebuke. Paul's laying into them with facts. It's not his opinion. I can't believe you painted that flagpole that color. I can't believe you changed the layout of the flower beds. You heathens, you mongrels, do you not know that chrysanthemums are, I don't know anything about flowers, but you know what I mean. That's what he's talking about here. These are, these are real, honest-to-goodness biblical principles that are getting completely eviscerated by the church. They're just ripping them to shreds throwing them out the window, doing whatever they want, and calling themselves Church of Christ. Oh, it's all about Christ. Well, maybe so maybe Paul, a little sexual immorality, and I'll see you in court. Like, no, 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 no. Knock it off. And these words preached today from Paul's mouth to y'all's ears better than anything I could say. There's just no room. We've got so much work to do. If we're caught up in all this nonsense of infighting and bickering and, and, and affairs with one another and all this kind of stuff, it's going to stop the work of Christ. And the world's going to think we're a joke and say, ah, I knew it. I knew it. Christ doesn't have any power. Look, they say they're a church of Christ. Look what's going on. They're in court again and another lawsuit. People leaving the church and joining the church over this and that and the other. None of it makes any sense. Nobody really knows why. They just seem angry at each other all the time. So when it comes to getting rebuked here, you can tell. Paul's talked about sexual morality. Now he's talked a little bit about fighting with one another, which is why I called the the sermon, stop tattling and no touching. Sounds like parents. I don't want to hear all this little stuff. Stop telling on each other. I mean, when I was growing up, the, the notion of tattling was always a very interesting thing, right? Like he did something. I'm going to go tell. And you go tell, and the person that tells would get in trouble. I'm thinking, but they did the wrong thing, right? Why, are you, why, why does the tattler get in trouble? And the answer is this. I don't really want to have a whole bunch of people that all they do is is never engage in relationships but instead just watch each other and keep lists of wrongdoing. That's what grace is supposed to fix. When someone's doing wrong and you catch them and I don't need to go tattle, I want to approach you. Do you see some kid doing wrong? Go to the kid and say, hey, that's wrong, you shouldn't do that. And if they say, get out of my face and uppercut you, I'll go talk to somebody. I got punched in the face, well, I'll deal with that. But rather than let somebody else do the dirty work for you, Go. Talk to your brothers. Talk to your friends. Talk to your church member, family, friend. Help them. You don't need to go tell the leadership right away. This was all prescribed in the Bible, and it's exactly what we want from everybody in our world. I got an issue with Mike. I go talk to Mike. Mike, you shouldn't be, you know, drag racing your car down Morgan Street. Well, I'll do what I like. All right. Well, you know, I, let's get the group of guys going to say, yeah, Mike, that's against the law. You shouldn't be doing that. I don't care. No one's going to tell me how to drive I'll do what I want to do. Great. We bring up the church say, you know, Mike's speeding up and down the roads. I'm tattling on him. I've talked to him. He won't listen to me. He won't listen to the leadership of the church. And the church says, yeah, that's dangerous and sinful. He should probably go until he figures it out. Hopefully, by this point, Mike says, all right, fine. I'll stop speeding. I don't understand what the big deal is. Well, let's read about it in the Bible. What does the Bible say about falling a law? Oh Oh, well, repentance comes. That's a much better approach than a, uh, that he was speeding. What are you going to do? Well, I didn't see him speaking. Well, I did. Did you talk to him? Well, no, I don't want to talk to him about it. I just told on him. Paul's done with this. Done with this. But when it comes to sexual immorality, run away. I see a Monty Python on the Holy Grail? There's a scene in there. This is how they retreat, right? They go to do something and it doesn't work out. And the guy, he, run away. That's how they call retreat. <clears throat> but this is what we're supposed to do. And I'll tell you, as Americans, as as go-getters and bootstrap pull uppers retreat is not desirable. We want to stand and fight. All right, I was kind of raised to do that. Challenge ahead of you, buckle down, athletic position, boom. Sexual immorality comes, no problem. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Christ says, run away, ah, whatever, I'm going to fight it. We don't do that here. Paul is very clear, flee, get out. Sexual immorality is not the place to post up and try to you know, give, it a, give it a shot. It's no good. You will lose. I know we will lose because we wouldn't be told to run away if it made sense to fight and win. Now, there's always going to be somebody that says, not me. I used to visit strip clubs all the time, and then I came to Christ, and now I just go there to witness. Now, if somebody came up here and said that, we'd all be like, "Uh, (laughs) maybe you're witnessing something, but I don't know if you're witnessing to them. I mean, oh, no, 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 it's a ministry for me. Like, well, yeah. You probably shouldn't be doing that ministry. No, it's different. I feel convicted. We wouldn't believe it, and rightfully so. Why? We all know what probably is really going on. It's an excuse. It's, It's a facade so that I could go to a strip club and still call myself a member of a congregation and say that I'm doing the Lord's work there. But everybody would know better. We would just know better. Paul is telling you why we know better. That is not a place for us to stand and fight. Sexual immorality will be here. It's going to happen. It's going to confront all of us. We're going to have to deal with it. But when, when, we, when we're dealing with that, and it seems like this is something that's right in my face and something I'm going to have to, I got to make a choice. I need to you know, decide here's some temptation here, and if I stay doing what I'm doing, that temptation is going to be coming up and up and up. Then I need to get away from that thing that, that brings me to that temptation. I need to flee. And Paul explains why. This sin is against our own body. This is unique. Sexual immorality is a very unique sin. There's a commission here. And it exploits an act intended to join permanently. Two flesh made one. Now, if we look around and we think of everybody in here as a person is one flesh, and I take a machete and I slice somebody in two flesh into two, it doesn't end well. Doesn't end well. You don't have a situation where somebody becomes one, one human. If Chris gets cut in half, that, that well, he's viable. Just kind of a right brain over here and a left brain there, and he kind of can get by. Uh-uh. We don't see that case. That example is supposed to tell us something about what, 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 what the notion of sex, and especially when it comes to relationships, and where, that, where that, that covenant's supposed to be, how that's supposed to work. It's supposed to be a very, very close joining. That is not intended to be torn apart. And when we deal with sexual morality, we're exploiting that, right? We're, we're putting our toe in water that we can't ever pull it out of completely. And Paul closes with, it's not cheap grace. We are bought with a price. Let's act like it. Our bodies are intended by Christ to be used for Christ. And that's a big claim. Sin is always there. It's always going to be ruining our day. We're going to succumb to it. We're going to fail at it. But what Paul's saying is, if it's sin and you're okay with it, that's a problem. Try. Try again. Try again. Try again. Overcome. Overcome. Find a friend. Get some accountability. Whatever it takes. But our bodies are intended by Christ to be used for Christ. So let's break it down here the four points. Stop tattling and no touching. Be forgiving of trivial wrongdoing. That's a big one. That's a hard one. Hard for me, at least. Stop doing wrong, even trivial wrong, to one another. For me, that one is much easier than the first one. I, I, would, te- I would tell you. Someone's annoyed by something I do, okay, I'll knock it off. That's fine. It's okay, right? If, especially if it was wrong, like a, a petty little thing that I'm doing, and whoops, I came, to, I came to grips with what I was doing was wrong, and I'm going to stop doing it. Even though it's just a tiny little thing, I won't do it. But forgiving somebody else for doing something wrong, much tougher. I don't know why that is, but that's how it is for me. Third, be aware of the dangers of sexual immorality. And fourth, flee from it. Do not attempt to defeat it. So once again, if we're forgiving of trivial wrongdoing, this does not include criminal action. I want to make that very clear. (laughs) Very clear. If somebody in the church commits a crime against somebody else in the church, That belongs in a court of law outside the church. Period. There's some people that would disagree with me. But too bad for them. Because that's what I believe this is 100% addressing. This is not about keeping all crimes that occur inside the church inside the church. That's a recipe for disaster. If a believer has committed a crime, it should be handled by a court of law. Beyond that, Trivials in the eye of the behold. There's a famous line from a senator that says, I can't define pornography, but I know it when I see it. That's how this is. This is why a church is so helpful. Right? I can't define trivial, but I know it when I see it. That's what we've got to hope for. Right? And Paul's saying, turn to the wise people in your congregation. Consult them about this. You know, he, parked over my, he backed over my flower bed. You know, My kid's bike was in the road, but he ran it over. Why well, was your kid's bike? Well, he's, you know, he's the one that hit it. I understand. Let's think about this. Do you think he hit that bike with malice? Do you think he was driving around the neighborhood looking for a church member's kid's bike in the road so he could run over it? Well, no, but I think he should make it right. Okay, let's have a conversation. Well, I didn't know it was his bike. I didn't even see it until I hit it. It's kind of a no-fault situation, but both people feel fault. That hurt my car, and you tore up the bike, and see you in court? No, Paul Sam. try to work that out. Try to work stuff like that out. Care for one another. Are you brothers or not? If you're not, if you're not family members, okay. The world loves to go to court, go to court. But we ought to be better than that. Grace and mercy are key. Grieve gracious to one another, show mercy to one another, but it doesn't mean silence. The reason I'm putting this here is because forgiveness should accompany some degree of repentance. <laughs> if somebody does wrong to me, in many ways it's a disservice if I just forgive them and say Nothing. Because they don't even know maybe what they did. They have no clue that I was ever hurt. I can tell you as an adult, I put up with this stuff. I probably do it too, but I put up with it a lot and I loathe it. When somebody is wronged or hurt, but they don't say anything and suddenly they're just holding a grudge. Like, well, I don't know. Well, well, eight months ago, you did this, that, or the other, and I made me mad. Like, so I'm sorry. Well, it's too late now. Like, I, I didn't know till now. Too late. Right? My heart's hard to get you or whatever. Like, well, I don't know what to tell you. I would like to have been able to make that right. Even if I don't think it's right, even if I don't think I did anything wrong. You spoke too loudly in the pulpit, hurt my ears. I won't be back. I won't have it. I won't stand for it. I never heard anybody talk so loud my whole life. Unbelievable. Well, I'm not gonna say anything to him about it though. But I'm gonna give him a look, oh stink eye every time. That guy up there rattling on so loud, ridiculous. Tell me it's too loud. Now, I may not be able to do much about it because there's some people that say it's not loud enough, right? But at least we could talk about it. You'd understand, I'm not speaking loud to hurt you or offend you personally. So much of this can be resolved in there. But you've got to talk about it. We have to talk about it. If you come to me and I say, hey, I was really hurt by that. I've come to forgiveness over it. You may not even think you deserve forgiveness. You know, I don't hold any ill will about it. You might leave thinking, "Why didn't know it was wrong. I don't need your forgiveness. I didn't do anything wrong. But something like that, Changes the way that you think about somebody. They come back and say, you know, I didn't know that I'd done that and uh, I don't necessarily know that it was wrong but obviously I don't want to cause pain or hurt you so I'm sorry you were hurt by that and I'll be mindful of that going forward and what we've done is restore a relationship but just saying, well, I forgive them but I don't want to tell them why I was mad doesn't give them a chance to even understand. They might recommit that not even knowing what's going on so don't be silent. Show grace and mercy but have a conversation even if it's tough. Now, back up to bullet one. If somebody slaps you, somebody assaults you physically or sexually, you do not feel compelled to, oh, I better go talk to them like the Bible says. Find another person. Talk right away. Go talk to the police. You don't even have to talk to anybody here. I'm not talking about criminal stuff. I'm talking about these trivial, civil kinds of disagreements. Likewise, stop doing wrong, even trivial wrong. So wouldn't it be easier if we didn't wrong each other? Yeah, sure. If everybody did the right thing all the time, we wouldn't even have to talk about forgiving one another, right? If I just stop sinning, I don't need to repent, of course. But this is impossible. We will screw up. We'll hurt one another. We'll say things that we, with a tone we didn't necessarily mean to say. Or we'll say something that we regret saying because we felt really at the moment. I mean, has anybody ever done that? I'm no choice for that. Just spouting off in anger about something and realizing, gosh, that was that was really mean. I shouldn't have said that. Like, that was... I'm sorry. I'm sorry I said that. I'm sorry I felt that way for that moment in time. I don't feel that way generally, but now you've done something. It's kind of hard to unhear, right? Now I can't believe you said that. I'm like I know, I know. But we should strive. To, this is where the grace comes in. I'm sorry I forgive you. It's going to take some time, but let's begin the healing process. While impossible, we should strive. Let's work on treating others as we want to be treated. Once again, parents talking to kids. Would you like him to do that to you? Would you like someone to stand in the pulpit and yell at you like that? <laughs> I don't know, maybe, if it's a good something to yell at me. But otherwise, I get what you're saying. Now I'll take it easy. But our changed hearts should begin to change our behavior. If we are children of Christ and we're in the Word and we're agreeing with what's happening here and we see parts of our lives, we start giving those things to God. God, I need you to change this. Sometimes just being made aware of something changes it. Sometimes just being told about something that you didn't even think about changes it. That's the beauty of the Word of God. It's telling us about things that we may never even thought of in our life, but it's hard to undo it's really hard to undo. And it's easy to get stuck in a they started it cycle. Well, I, you know, I forgave them, but they're the ones that, you know, I, I tried to, but they won't listen. Or they keep doing it again. And I told them that not you know, like, well, okay. You just want to fight. I've worked with some people in my career that seem to just love. They want grittiness in the workplace. They want strife. It like fuels them. They need to have uh, unrest surrounding them. Like, it's like an eye of a hurricane. That's their comfort zone. They want turmoil around them at all places. They, just, they move through and things seem to get destroyed and bad things happen. There's always drama and there's always this and the other. As a church, we should not be doing that and if we are doing that, we should expect a rebuke We should expect somebody to say, listen, stop trying to start trouble. I'm not starting trouble. I'm just telling everybody my opinions about what they wear at church. Don't do that. You're starting trouble. No, I think it's fair. Those jeans look a little too tight. Now I could see if the quarter was you know, heads or tails from here. I don't like that. So I told him. Well, maybe keep your mouth closed, right? Stop starting fights. Well, if he wouldn't wear those kind of pants, I wouldn't have to say how tight they were. Or just don't say how tight they were and maybe have a conversation about his pants are too tight, right? Instead, he make a left-handed comment and start something. Well, I didn't think they were too tight. And if you don't like it, come to... And here we go. Well, they started it. He's the one that wore the pants. Well, he's the one that said something. Who started it? They both started it, right? Now, this is a silly one, but this is where it always ends up. are people sitting on either side of the church in huge fights. Every time I look at this wall, I hate it. Every time I see these chairs, I be get sick, you know, over and over. Investments in these things that aren't going to matter. Paul's uh, notion of the stomach and the food is great. Like, the stomach's made for the food. Both those are going to get destroyed by God. <laughs> food obliterated. Your stomach obliterated. Stop quarreling and worrying about all this little stuff. There's much bigger, bigger pictures, especially a world of lost people out there. Be aware of the dangers of sexual immorality. This sin is no joke. It is an offense against our bodies, and causes a binding that should never be. We should not be binding ourselves to sin. This one can do it. We start joining our flesh with others. Right? You say, "Well, that's only if you commit adultery." Right? Now, the, the logical drawdown here is that by committing adultery in my mind with somebody. There's a part of my mind that's been kind of joined to them. That's a very dangerous thing. Now I'm not saying like, well, let's go through this. Probably a great study for just that issue. But the danger here and why we see to flee from it is don't stand in there a little bit. Now, there's a big giant fire of that section around. Let's get a little closer. I mean, it's burning my leg a little bit, but I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay, I can still get away. And then all of a sudden, phew, you're ignited. And you can run away from fire. But I don't know if you remember growing up. The answer of I got caught on fire is not, well, then run away from it. It's stop, drop, and roll to put the fire out. The fire will go with you, right? So when it comes to these sorts of sins, get away. God can break that bond. Now, I want to be real clear here. There's nothing you're going to do that's from a a sexual immorality perspective that cannot be cleansed and undone by God. He's God. He restores all things. But this is a tough one. As we all know, many sins have an addictive nature, and sexual sin is the worst of that. There's chemical things that happen in our body, and we start to literally program it. This isn't necessarily what you I mean, the, the, the world could t- show you this. We start to get programmed to this, right? We get dopamine releases, and we participate in certain sins, and they become something that we are actually addicted to. We, we crave them because it's an easy way for us to get high again. Paul's not talking about all that dopamine stuff. That's the reality of it, but Paul is talking about exactly how we were cr- created. Sexual sin, don't, don't even start. Flee from it, do not attempt to defeat it. There's a lot of times in our faith that we'll be called to stand and fight. I mean, there's plenty, there's, you know, Martin Luther, famous, he said, here I stand, I can do no other. Well, there was something other he could have done, and that was flee. Now, he was chained, but, you know, when it comes to sexual sin, don't, here here I stand, I shall do no other. Run away. We should flee. And this may mean that our lives are outwardly impacted by our flight from this sin. This may mean that others are like, why don't you ever want to go out anymore? i don 't like going to bars, you know it 's too many, too much temptation there for me. Well, we always had such a nice time. I know it was great, but you know i 'm trying things to, to do a different thing now. I want to be a little bit more committed i 'm trying to keep my mind on right things, and that setting 's no good for me. <sighs> too many times we as Christians say well you know i 'll fight the good fight i 'll go out, and then we wonder six months later, why well, why is my life back in shambles? Well, I went right back to the to the the edge of the precipice and walked along it until I fell back in. And then I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, I don't do tightrope walking. I understand it's a great skill. But part of me always says that when a tightrope walker falls, I think to myself, well, yeah, (laughs) you're on a thin rope above a building. Like, that's what's supposed to happen. It's extraordinary that you didn't fall. The expectation is that you should fall. That's why you're a daredevil. You're daring the devil to take your whatever, right? We shouldn't be doing that with our daily lives. We shouldn't be doing that with our walk with Christ. We shouldn't be walking like, oh, I'm just going to walk this, this tightrope over this sexual sin so that everybody thinks I'm a good Christian. No. Get off the rope, get down from the building, run away. In a strong family community, accountability is super helpful. So if this is a struggle for you and you can't get from A to B and you're looking for an excuse... Uh, you know, I, I always want to go on, on Tuesdays, and I never have anything to do on Tuesdays, and I don't want to lie to them. Talk to Mike or I. We'll throw together a men's Bible study on Tuesday night so you have an excuse. I got no problem doing that. We'll just meet and have coffee. Whatever. Ladies, same issue. I'm sure the ladies would happily get together and put something on the calendar that you could be invited to that you'd have a commitment so you don't have to do these. You don't have to worry about, well, you know, I got to do this thing at the church, and I signed up for it. And I, whatever you got to say, but make the change. Flee from the sin. It's better for you. It's better for everybody. So, call to action for today. Hey, y'all, let's bury some hatchets today, huh? What do you say? If you've got some, some little uh, some problems with people in the church, been bugging you, tell you it's a good day to bury a hatchet. That doesn't mean go out in the backyard, dig a hole, throw the issue in it, say you're sorry, and move on. Go talk to them. Show them the hatchet. This was in my back. It really hurt. I want you to know that I was hurt. I forgive you. I'm not holding a grudge about it. Uh, but I think it's fair that you know that I felt this way. Oh my gosh, I had no idea. Or you might get good. You know, I'm going to put another one in your back as soon as I can because I don't agree with the way you do this and the other. Now you can pray for them and start a conversation. Maybe they'd have some other issues to work out. But, but, but if we've got divides between us as a congregation, let's work on putting those things away. We have way too much work to do to waste time bickering over trivia. I once again, just want to stress for the umpteenth time, this is about trivial, civil, civil things. If somebody has done wrong to you and you feel like it's been covered up or someone has taken their back and not reported a thing that you thought should have been reported, we want to know about that, too, because that's been mishandled. But these, these little disputes between one another could easily be resolved. Let's resolve them. And then let's flee from temptation today. <laughs> the world's needle sexual morality keeps moving. I mean, I've only been on this earth for 43 years, and it's incredible the things that are now great that were unacceptable just a few short years ago in my life. That's going to keep happening. The world's going to continue to accept more and more and more things and make the world of the immoral almost non-existent. Anything goes. It's all good. Everything's fine. That way I don't have to to deal with it. But that's not what we should be doing. Our needle to what sexual immorality is is very clear. It's given by God through His Word. If it ain't there, we want to do it. If our bodies are Christ, then if He says run away, let's go. I am not prepared, nor should you be, to say, well, you know... I know Christ said for most people to flee, but I'm an exceptional Christian. <laughs> Christ didn't even see me coming. Watch me stand and defeat this sexual sensation. Don't do it. It's not worth it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that today uh, your words spoke much louder than I did, Lord. I pray that people within earshot of this message will turn to you, turn to your word. Not to the world's ideas or life coaches or any any ideas of man that will improve life or make things better or bring them peace or happiness lord strengthen their church in worldly ways lord i pray that our church is strengthened through your word and your word alone if it's not going to bring glory to you lord we have no use of it in this body and i pray lord as we tackle infighting in the church and we tackle sexual immorality in our own lives that we handle those things in a way that you have prescribed. And, you know, it's good news for us, Lord, that it's right here in the word. Solutions for problems that actually exist in the world today, ways that we can deal with these situations right here in your word, Lord. We don't have to guess. We don't have to hope for the best. It's very clear. And it doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. And it doesn't mean that things are automatically going to get fixed overnight. But Lord, help us to do what we need to do. Help us to do what you have called us to do for your glory and for our benefit, even if we can't quite understand how either one of those things are coming to fruition. Thank you for this time together.